are continuing, as Ginny said to us earlier, we're continuing our series in, in the book of Acts. And what, what a book it is, isn't it? I hope you're enjoying it. Um, we've already gone through some pretty fast-paced, pretty amazing um, stuff that was going on around about that time. And today's reading is no exception. Um, today's incident is... Uh, the first time in the book of Acts that the scene has shifts back to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, the uh, first couple of chapters um, are either in the upper room where the power of the Spirit came during Pentecost or just before that, Jesus is somewhere else with the disciples. Um, but as Paul shared with us last week, as the young church, effectively, that group of early believers started to meet together, they were sometimes just going from house to house in their homes, and sometimes they would gather in the temple. And this is the first real happening in the temple since Good Friday, when Jesus, on the point of death, by the power of God, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. There was a great big thick veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies. And I'm sure you know the story that as Jesus gave, uh, gave up his life on the cross, as those last words were spoken, it is finished. The, supernaturally, that veil was torn from top to bottom as a symbol of the fact that the presence of God was no longer kept in a little sanctuary in the middle of the Jerusalem temple. But in fact, the presence of God was available for all. And then, the temp and then it goes quiet, but we're back in the temple today, and we'll see why that's significant. If you've got your Bibles, you want to follow along, Acts chapter 3, it will also be on the screen, and we'll read through it now. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us 
as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send his Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's quite a chapter, isn't it? Just take a deep breath, having got through all of that. Well done if you followed it all the way through. There's a, there's a huge amount in there. And uh, as you can probably imagine, um, I've had to really just ask God, what do you want me to share this morning? Um, because there's, there's more than one sermon in here. Um, I was looking through, I don't know if any of you use the Tom Wright book, um, where it says, book for everyone, so in this case, act for everyone. Um, he's got three chapters on this passage, so, uh, but we don't want to be here all day. Um, so I've just got a few things that I feel God wants to share with us and to Im Im impress on us is the word I'm looking for. Um, so as I said earlier, we're back in the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish religious observance. It was the center, really, of national life. And much of Jesus' ministry had taken place in the temple. He'd often praying in the temple courts, uh, preaching in the temple courts, gathering his disciples there. So just bear that in mind as we go through some of the detail. But what I want to do is to look at this incident from three perspectives. So let's start with the man who's at the center of it, at the beginning at any rate, the beggar. 
The, uh, I, those of you that follow us on social media will, will have spotted the, the little write-up in the middle of the week that said, we don't know very much about this guy. Um, we, don't know, uh, we don't know his name. Um, we're not definitely told what nationality he was, although I'm pretty sure from the, the context that he would have been uh, a young Jewish man, young, maybe middle-aged. And we can probably all empathize with his state. He was lame. He had been lame from birth. And his life would not have been an easy one and probably wouldn't have been a very pleasant one. And with a little bit of imagination, and the, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of the background, but you can imagine that growing up as a young boy, suddenly realizing, I can't walk and run around like brothers and sisters and other children all the way around, I'm trying to get, uh, trying to come to terms with being different to begin with, trying to come to terms with not having the same capabilities that others around him had. Even at a young age, he would have been aware of that. And just trying to cope with the fact that he would be disabled in the context of a society where being able-bodied was your way of earning a living. Wouldn't have been an easy life. He would have learnt that some people would avoid him. Some people would prefer that he wasn't there. He would have felt probably very keenly that sense of not fitting in. Hopefully, there would have been some people around, either his parents or maybe, you know, living nearby was an elderly priest who might have explained to him, actually, you are part of God's chosen people. You're privileged. Even though you're disabled, you're privileged. God chose the Jewish people to be the light of the world. A special people, not because of anything that they've done, it says back in the Old Testament, not because of your own numerous, uh, your own, um, the number of people that you, you have in your community, not because of your, uh, your, your own goodness or anything like that, but God's just chosen you as a special race. And there's this wonderful place in Jerusalem called the temple. And God's presence is there. And hopefully as a young boy, somebody would have started to instruct him in those kind of things. You're part of the Jewish nation. There's this wonderful thing called the temple. But at some point, somebody would have said to him, actually, you can't go in. The convention at the time was that if a, if a, a, a young Jewish man was not physically perfect, then they couldn't go all the way in to the temple courts. Imagine learning about that as you're growing up. Not only are you not able-bodied, not only can you not join in with the economic and practical life of the community around you, you can't join in with the worship of the one true God. Very, very hard. And I imagine um, that growing up, he would have been initially very, very disappointed about that. But gradually, his attitude would have just hardened. He would have become numb to the state that he was in. Very kindly, some friends and relatives would carry him every day to the temple so that he could sit outside, beg for money. But even that wasn't a very satisfactory way of existing. It became very boring. Nobody would talk to him. 
Even today, when we see people on the streets, it's very easy, isn't it? Even if you want to pop a, a few pennies, a few pounds in, uh, you know, a, in a hat or a, whatever they've got in front of them, um, it's easy not to make eye contact, isn't it? It's easy just to kind of walk on by. And this guy who had been forced to beg would be used to people avoiding physical contact, avoiding eye contact. Can you imagine what that's like? I, there may be people here who know what that's like. I don't know. And any sense of hope would be at a very low ebb for him. But suddenly, one day, as some of the people were wandering by into the temple, um, he would have been aware of probably two pairs of legs initially as he was just looking on the ground, stopping, maybe start to lift his eyes up, and he realized there were two people that had stopped in front of him. But one of them says, look at us. And perhaps for the first time, for a long time, another human being had really made a connection with him. Just think about that. Peter says, look, look at us. All of a sudden, he remembers what it feels like to be connected to another person. And something's stirring within him. But he's about to be taken completely by surprise. I wonder if he kind of does a double take when the voice that comes out of Peter's mouth said, I haven't got any money. Hmm. Disappointment. But I've got something I can give you. I don't know what you thought, actually reading through the, through the scriptures. I almost get the feeling that he doesn't have a choice, actually. <laughs> you know, Peter just says, in the name of Jesus, grabs him by the arm, lifts him up, get up and walk. And he's suddenly aware of a sensation that he's never had before. As his legs start to strengthen, as his ankles start to strengthen, he's never, he's lame, lame from birth. I wonder, you know, um, what it would have been like in watching this. I reckon if anybody around had got their phone out and taken a video, that video would have gone viral. Because I don't imagine that he would have immediately had this kind of strong walk, firm footsteps. It would have been more like, have you ever, have you ever been sitting for a long time? Maybe with your legs crossed, you've got pins and needles. And when you get up, one leg doesn't quite work. Yeah, do you know that? Um, I, I reckon that would have, and, and the way it's described, well, he, he walked a bit and he leapt a bit, and praising God. Well, of course he was praising God. And there would have been a whole mixture within him of euphoria, shock. Um, and, uh, well, I can, I can do this thing. I can do it. Wow. Think of a young lamb or a young foal being born. If you ever seen any videos of those, and when they first get up, they're trying to walk, and they're stumbling around. I reckon that would have been this guy. Even as far as verse 11, you'll remember, he's still clinging on to Peter and John. So he's, uh, he's had a power encounter that he wasn't expecting, but he starts to praise God immediately. And all of a sudden, for this lame beggar, Everything has changed. 
All of a sudden, healing has come, strength has come, capacity has come to his body, and everything has changed. And everything would be different now. Worth thinking about the fact that all of a sudden, he would need to start playing a part in the community that he hadn't played up till now. We're not particularly going to go into that, but just, just think about that for a moment. He's been able to just sit and beg all his life. Something's going to change for him, isn't it? But that change is going to be for the good because the power of God has met him, brought healing, brought capacity to his body, and he can now take his place, not only in the economic society, but he can also now go with Peter and John into the temple. Let's just think about the story again from Peter and John's perspective. If we just imagine, just take a breath for the moment and just imagine Peter and John's journey over the previous month or so leading up to this incident. By the way, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us whether this is immediately after chapter 2. Sometimes there are, you know, there are gaps in the Bible narrative, aren't there, in, in terms of time. So we don't know whether it was the next day or the next week or whatever, but it's probably pretty soon afterwards. Um, and they have been on an immense journey, both of them. Just think, over a two-month period, you've experienced Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Many of you will know that story. All the events of Easter, from the Good Friday tragedy, as they would have perceived it, through that very low Easter Saturday, through onto Easter Sunday, the shock and joy of the resurrection, other things happening in the middle. Peter, going through that whole cycle of rejecting and disowning Jesus and having to cope with his guilt and later being restored by Jesus. John, getting a new mother. Remember that story from the, uh, the cross? Jesus says, John, look after my mom, will you? And it said that John took her into his household from that time on. Lots changing. And do you know what else? Over the 40 days between the resurrection and Jesus' ascension, Jesus was doing a lot of teaching. He was schooling James and John and the other disciples into how everything that had happened to him was a fulfillment of all the rich, varied promises that God had made through the Old Testament. I reckon some of those, um, some of those times of Jesus explaining those things would have been quite phenomenal. They, they come out in some of the sermons, that, the sermon that Peter preached on, um, on the day of Pentecost, the one that we just read. There are little references to Scripture all the way through. And I reckon their, their minds would have been absolutely buzzing with, oh, yeah, this Scripture was prophesied, and this is the fulfillment, and this means this, and this, you know, God promised to do this, and now it's been done. They're full of just how a whole big picture has come together in the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. A whole load of things that people previously had thought, oh, I wonder what that means. I wonder how that will come about. I wonder whether that's really true. I wonder if God can really do that. Well, yes, he can. Yes, he could. Yes, he did. And they would have been full of the, 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 just the bigness of it. I don't even know if bigness is a word, but it is now. 
The bigness of it. Huge. Say bigness. bigness. Good. It's a word. So that's been their journey, and they're just continuing to meet with believers. They're continuing to um, worship together, sometimes in the temple, sometimes, um, sometimes in homes. But there's a pivotal moment in this story, isn't there? They've already experienced, to a limited degree, they've experienced the power of God to heal, even while they were with Jesus. Jesus sometimes sent them out on missions, said, go and heal the sick, preach the kingdom. They would do that, and they'd come back and say, yeah, we saw some miracles. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, these, the, the, the pace in quickens, and they've got a sense of something's happened to us. And I think the pivotal moment in this story must be the point at which Peter realizes he's talking to the beggar. And he suddenly senses the anointing on him to heal. Isn't that amazing? And as I said, he doesn't give the guy really any choice. He just says, just get up and walk. And as he stretches out his hand, as the hands make contact, power from God comes into the beggar's limbs and he starts to walk. And as I say, they go through into the temple um, and people start to come. Peter said, I'm going to give you what I've got. Peter doesn't need to be rich to give the beggar something that will benefit him. He just needs to give him what it is that he's got from God to share. We'll come back to that in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit. But I think that's a really important point for us. I used to... Um, I, I, when I was a young Christian, I used to be a bit freaked Sorry, if I'm honest. I used to be freaked out because I would read stories like this from the Bible, and I'd think, am I supposed to do that? I wonder if any you can relate to that. I mean, you want to. <laughs> It's a wonderful thing to be able to bring healing to somebody, is it? But you can also be a little bit um, pressured, maybe. Feel like I ought to be spiritual, like Peter. I ought to be able to go into the town, find somebody who's lame, and heal them too. I wonder if anybody of you, I wonder if you've ever felt that, or felt that because you don't do those things, I wonder if you felt... Oh, I'm not, I'm not a very good Christian. We do get, we, these thoughts do come into us sometimes. We so want to see God move. We so want to see what happened then happen now. But we can take it the wrong way. We can take it in a condemning way. I, I reckon, you know, I mean, the Bible doesn't really tell us. If John had done the speaking and John had said, what I have I give to you, it might have been something different. Who knows? Because when I say what I have, I give to you, I'm, 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 I'm coming from my experience of God, and I have got something. But Peter's very, very concerned that the glory goes to Jesus. Let's follow the story through a little bit, because when they get into the temple, the crowds come. 
And Peter and John think, okay, we're going to need to address this because people are starting to look at us. They, were, they would have been well-known probably by this time um, by people who, certainly who people who were part of that early church, probably others as well. People start talking about Peter and John. And Peter doesn't want anybody to think that it was them that did this marvelous thing. We saw it in, chapter, in verse 13, didn't we? Peter's saying, we're ordinary people. It's not by our power or godliness. Interesting that he chooses those two terms. It's not by anything that we've got naturally. And it's not by our kind of religious piety that this thing has happened. But I am going to explain to you, he says, how this has happened. Now, this surprised me when I was preparing for this. I'd never really noticed this before this week. Um, I've always had the impression that the whole of the book of Acts, and particularly the first section of the book of Acts, is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That, that's right, isn't it? That's kind of what the, the impression we've got. But Peter actually doesn't, on this occasion, he doesn't credit what's happened to the power of the Spirit. He credits it to faith in the name of Jesus. I wonder if you noticed there were a number of different references to Jesus. I wonder if we can just, could we have the, I think the middle of the three slides, Nikki, verse 12 onwards. Yeah, okay. Um, just, just a number of different references to Jesus. In verse 13, his servant, Jesus. Verse 14, the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, the author of life. Nice little contrast there. You kill the author of life. Killing life, you get it. In verse 20, it says that he was the appointed one. In verse 22, it says he was the prophet who was promised. I wonder if you can hear in some of these. You could, you could do a whole sermon, actually, on... In fact, you could probably do five sermons on those five references. Um, there's, a, there's a lot in them. But can you hear in there the richness of that, um, that, that prophetic truth from the Old Testament that Peter and John had been absorbing as Jesus had gone through the Old Testament scriptures with him between the resurrection and the ascension? Peter's really got to know who Jesus is, his servant. God's servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the appointed one, the prophet that was promised. Can I just remind us all of just how multifaceted Jesus is? There's something in Jesus for your needs today. There's a challenge in Jesus for your life today. There's comfort in Jesus for your needs today. And he is big enough and his being is rich enough that that can be true for me and for you and for you and for you and for you all at the same time because that's just how big a deal Jesus is. Isn't that good? And in, I mean, have a, have a read again through those as you as you mull over after, uh, after today. 
just how Jesus is described in these verses. So we've looked at this incident from the standpoint of the beggar and the absolute wonderful healing and the life change that comes on him. We've looked at this from the standpoint of Peter and John and how keen they are to make sure that they're not the center of attention, how keen they are to give the glory to Jesus. But what about the crowd? Let's have a little bit of a think about the crowd. One of the reasons that I think it's significant that this incident takes place in the temple is because there's a different audience to the first sermon that Peter preaches back in chapter 2. If you remember back to chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they were in an upper room. We don't know exactly where it was, somewhere in Jerusalem. And um, such was the amazing power and the amazing things that were going on. Um, if you remember on that, that, that day of Pentecost, um, that people started to gather around the house, in the area around the house. And uh, I think it was Mike who was sharing with us the other week about the fact that that crowd, because of the time of year it was in Jerusalem, that crowd would have been composed of visitors from all over the Middle East. Even as far away as places that we would now call, you know, Iran, Iraq, um, Turkey, um, Egypt, Northern Africa, um, into uh, Asia Minor, into, into Greece, those, those kind of areas. Um, all Jews who had previously, uh, or at some point in the past, Jewish families who would have been dispersed for various reasons, coming back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and just, you know, gathering wherever the, um, the upper room was when, when all the commotion started. But that wasn't the temple. And some of the people who um, needed to get the message about what had happened would have been the people in the temple, temple officials maybe, members of the Sanhedrin. They wouldn't necessarily have witnessed that first Pentecost. They may have heard about it subsequently, but they wouldn't have witnessed it. They would have been busy doing their temple stuff, whatever that was. So it's quite likely that although there would have been some overlap, there would have been a different audience. Do you know the temple was very significant in the Jewish faith? And the temple was even at a stage in God's salvation plan, pivotal to his plan. It was the place where his glory came down. It was the place where his glory dwelt. But any careful reading of the Old Testament will tell you that God was going to bring some change. That was never a permanent arrangement. And in the wonderful things that God did through Jesus through that first Easter weekend. Things had moved on. And things had partly moved on because the Jewish authorities didn't understand who Jesus was and they rejected him. 
It was interesting we sang this morning, didn't we? Cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. I wonder if you know that that expression, that word cornerstone is in the Bible and it's used as a, a, an image of Jesus. Because it was prophesied in the Old Testament, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone of the new temple. Yeah, so it's an image from construction. It's an image which is saying there was this, there was a stone, wonderful stone, but the people building said, no, we don't want that, chuck it out. And yet that was the stone that God had decided would be the cornerstone, the temple. And that was a picture of the fact that the Jews were going to not understand the Messiah when he came, Jesus when he came. So what does it say about God? The fact that in this particular incident, the message of the good news of Jesus can go back into the temple. And crowds can gather, including those who work there. And they would hear Peter say, this happened, you got it wrong. You rejected, you handed him over, you killed him. But you can turn. You can repent. The word repent means to turn. You can now turn to Jesus. I'm not sure if I was God, I would have given the temple another chance, frankly. But then, thankfully, I'm not. And our God is a God of grace a God of mercy, and a God who will always give us another chance to accept Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Let's make sure the message goes back into the temple. Let's make sure these people get one more chance to say yes or no. And if we look through into the next chapter, because this Chapter 4 is a continuation of this story, and we'll hear about it in coming weeks. There were an, another, I can't remember the number actually, another few thousand that were added to the number as a result of this incident. So the message of grace goes back in the temple, people respond. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? I think it's great. So we've looked at this story from three perspectives, and what can we learn? For ourselves. First and most obvious lesson, I think, is just it's an example that God heals. And I hope, I hope and pray that we continue to see healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in this church, but in any church that names the name of Jesus. Because when Jesus' ministry was heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom. Heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom. And healing is a sign that the kingdom is coming. Because when the kingdom finally and fully comes, there won't be, um, well, we will all be healed. We'll all be given new bodies. We'll, we'll all be functioning. There will be no more tears, no more crying and so on. But the sign of the kingdom comes now. 
So we keep praying for healing. I was uh, in, a, in a meeting a while ago, actually, where somebody was just, just saying, what, where do we go from here? It was one of those post-COVID conversations. It wasn't here, it was, was elsewhere, but it was, what's, what's going, where, where is the church going from here? And a very wise man said, if we continue to pray that God brings healing into our midst, then we have a future. And I think that's absolutely right. So let's take some encouragement. Great that we prayed for Joe earlier on. We'll keep praying for you this week that God will bring his healing to you and many others. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson, inclusion. The beggar was an excluded member of society. God met him, healed him, and all of a sudden he could take his place not just in the practical, economic um, means of society, but also in, in the worship. He can come right in. And in the same way as at Easter, that veil was torn in two. So this is a powerful picture of the fact that, yeah, people are going to come into the presence of God who previously might have been excluded. That's a powerful message, isn't it? We can also learn from this, that kind of evangelism principle of what I have, I give to you. And I think there's a challenge there for us. There really is a challenge. I'm not going to go and give what I haven't got, but I've got so much. I've been given so much, and so have you. We've been given our salvation. We've been given forgiveness. We've been given regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Haven't we? Yeah? Ring any bells? Silver and gold have I none. Most of us probably don't have very much money. But we can say to people that we meet, what I do have, I give to you. What I do have, I share with you. And the fact that it might not be somebody else's gifting shouldn't stop us. I may not be able. I may not feel an anointing. I, I, I may, actually, at some point. Please, God. But, you know, I, I may not have an anointing to grab somebody by the, by the hand and lift them on their feet and say, go and walk. But I have so much I can share, so much I can give. What I have... I give to you. Think about some of your, your friends, your neighbors, family members that you want to, you would just love to come to know Jesus. That's the challenge. What you have, you can give to them. And finally, um, I said that the Holy Spirit doesn't really get a mention in this chapter apart from one hint towards the end where it says, turn to the Lord that times of refreshing may come. And I felt as I was preparing for this morning a real sense, and been feeling it for some time, that God wants to do something new and fresh with us in the power of the Spirit. 
Some of us who've maybe been around a bit will remember previous times where the Spirit moves in ways that are completely unexpected. Yeah? If, we, if you, some of us can go back to things like the, um, the, the Toronto experience and so on. That's 30 years ago now. We know from Jesus' teaching that the Spirit is like the wind. It blows where it wants. We've got a powerful example of that, haven't we, this week? How when the wind blows, you go with it because it blows where it wants. Um, the wind this week was predictable. The, the, the meteorologists were managed to figure out, didn't they, which trajectory the storm was coming. But very often, just from a practical day-to-day purpose, we don't know where the wind is going to blow. We don't know whether it's going to be, you know, gusty or calm. We don't know whether the wind is going to change direction. And that's the picture that Jesus gave us of the work of the Holy Spirit. But what we do know is this. It will blow. And I think, um, was it in the prayer meeting this morning? Somebody just used the image of the sail. Putting up your sail to catch the wind. If you're, if you're, if you're out on a sailing boat, um, no good just having a mast. You've got to stick the sail up. But if you stick the sail up and if you know how to work that you're experienced uh, yachtsman, yachtswoman, and you know how to set the sail so that the, the wind, when it blows, will just drive the ship forward, then you've got power. And that, I think, is what God wants to give us a bit of excitement about this morning. And I just, I, I just thinking about the, um, uh, the, the church meeting on Wednesday and the way in which we want to just set our vision towards the future. We're going to put the past behind us. We're going to set our vision towards the future and what God wants to do with this body of people, this this church, next. We need to catch the wind of the Spirit. And I hope that gives you a little bit of a hunger, actually. I hope it stirs you. should do. Hosea writes this, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to know him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. So when Peter's talking about times of refreshing these are the kind of scriptures there are others in Isaiah and elsewhere that talk about about this times of refreshing will come I believe it we've had um, the people in the in, in the fellowship that kind of have a prophetic sense have sometimes shared with elders in elders in recent months there's new wine coming there's a fresh wind blowing and I, I'm starting to feel it as well I mean, I, listen, I'm not particularly prophetic. My gifting is, is, is really teaching. Yeah, and there are other people that have more of a prophetic gift. But I just sense we're coming into a new phase. I don't know what it'll look like because I'm not going to predict it. What I do know is this. I want to be ready with my sail when it starts to come, don't you? I want to be there... I don't want to be asleep in the boat. I want to be there with my sail hoisted up, 
when the wind starts to blow, we're going to see where it's going to go. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not my church. It's not yours. It's his. And he will empower us by his spirit to do his work. But we have a responsibility to be prepared, to be ready, to be receptive, to be listening, to, like Peter, just sense that moment of anointing that says, I'm going I'm to heal you. And as we set our sails with that attitude to pick up the wind, let's just see what God's going to do. I think we're in for just some wonderful, wonderful times. I expect we're probably in for some challenging times as well. That's normally the way things go, isn't it? But I just think we're in for wonderful times. And right now, let's concentrate on the wonderful. As we, um, as we conclude, I like to go back to worship. And I think, um, is it just you or is it all the band? Are you, um, I, I, I was thinking this song during the week, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord is moving all around. And I think it would be good for us just to sing that, actually, um, and use that as our response because the same spirit that prompted Peter to take hold of the beggar's arm, to bring him healing, to bring him inclusion, that same spirit is available to us. And I think we're at the start of something new here. So let's take a few moments to just just respond to that can we do that